Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. We're going to talk about grace. That's the focal point of Galatians. And as you may or may not know, we started Galatians last week. We did the introduction in verses 1 through 10. And if you missed it, you can pick it up on the website. The uh, thing about grace that I find, it's kind of like the word blessings. Totally abused. We've taken blessings and we've ascribed to it everything physical and temporal. If I got a new car, I'm blessed. If I got a beat up, you know, clunker, then, you know, I'm cursed. I'm not blessed. That's not blessing at all. Blessing is the favor of the Lord. It is He who can give you joy in a beater or joy in a new one. But He is the one who gives us pleasure, defined the way God defines pleasure. He gives us joy. He gives us happiness in everything that we have in this life. And I don't care what that is, whether the world would call it good or bad. Well, grace is kind of like one of those, like that word. It's been hijacked by the world and by man-centered religion. And it seems to be applied only when we receive something that is unmerited, that is a blessing to us. It is typically applied when, you know, we should have been in a wreck, but we weren't. Oh, the grace of God. Should have lost our job, but we didn't. Oh, the grace of God. We should have run out of steam and been unable to go forward, but we were able. So, oh, the grace of God. And we try to define grace by circumstance. We try to define grace by and the activity of, that's going on around us by what we're feeling in the moment, we've drug it down and made it completely temporal. I want you to understand something about grace. It is not temporal. It is not based on your circumstances. It's not based on the good or the bad of your circumstances. It is the very activity of God himself. That's what grace is. It's what he extends towards us. Not based on who you are. Not based on what you've done. Good or bad. But based on him. Who he is. And grace is as individual as you are. Why? Because the grace that the Father had to apply to my life apart from eternal salvation, the grace that is needed for day-to-day living, the grace that is needed for me to face the things that I would face in this life, that I face uniquely, I, I don't care if you've been through it before, I face uniquely because I have a different grid of emotions, I face uniquely because I see life differently than you, I face uniquely because my whole sensitivity towards the things that's coming at me is different than yours. So I face it with a difference than you do. So the grace that is afforded to me is unique. 
it's uniquely enough for me. You see, we cannot define grace by exterior, external works. We define grace by the activity of God that is as individual, that is as unique as you are. Some of us are parents that have more than one child. And how you attend different children, every child is different. One child you only have to say no once to. The other needs a multitude of no's and maybe some reinforcement. One child you can punish by sticking them in their room. The other thinks being isolated in the room is a bit of a blessing. God attends us individually with his grace. What happens to you in the exact same circumstances that your brother or sister is going through is requiring a unique grace. Now, why do I bring that up? Because you need to understand your God is personal. You need to understand the relationship that you're in with him. You're not in some kind of, of uh, construct that, that attends every single one the same way, kind of like, uh, you know, they feed the chickens. Everybody gets the same thing. It, no, that's not God. And the enemy has a vested interest in you seeing grace according to the externals and seeing God's interest in your life as being dispassionate and, and distant so that you, in your relationship with him, would become disinterested and become dispassionate and become religious instead of intimate. Galatians, as I mentioned before, is all about grace. But it is the grace of God afforded to every man, woman, and child that receives him. But it's not a grace that's just afforded in salvation. It's a grace that was afforded to us from the beginning of time, before the beginning of time. That's right. It's the grace that takes everything in your life and works it all together for good. That means that everything that you've encountered from earth forward had purpose. If it works together for good, regardless of how it fits and what it looks like, it has a purpose in completion, doesn't it? Like the puzzle? You can't make any sense of why that piece fits the way it fits and why it's there. You can't, you can't get any sense of the whole picture of the puzzle. You don't know why it's there. In fact, you think it's rather ugly. You would like to just remove it. But it's a part of the puzzle and it's there. And it's working all things together for good. Grace works all things together for good in our lives. Today we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 24. And that's a lot of ground to cover. But by his grace, we shall hear him. And that's really the whole text is about grace. As we mentioned last week in the introduction, this is not a warm and fuzzy letter. It was written in a fury of righteous indignation. It was written to the churches of Galatia, which is not more than one church, it's a territory, Galatia was, that Paul established on his first missionary journey. And these are predominantly Gentile churches filled with new converts that had little acquaintance with Jewish law or traditions or the worship of the Jew or the Jewish God in their mind. 
This is thought to be actually Paul's first epistle because it was written very early in his ministry. It's been called the preface to Romans. And Paul's ministry, as we've seen in the epistles that we have studied, is ever shadowed by false teachers and deceivers everywhere he went. And, you know, you see it over and over again. Paul is protecting the people of God. He's protecting the message. He's protecting the gospel. He's protecting his authority as an apostle. And he's not doing this selfishly. He's not doing this for himself. He's doing it in order that the message would have impact, that the message would have authority in the lives of the people that were there. Now, being followed by false teachers and deceivers is almost an affirmation of God's work because where there's light, there will invariably be a shadow, won't there? And everywhere he went, they were there. And these churches are no exception. They'd been invaded by a group of deceivers known as the Judaizers. And the Judaizers taught that in addition to receiving the salvation afforded us through Christ, you must be circumcised after the law of Moses in order to be saved. They also taught that portions of the traditional ceremonial law must be observed. They were teaching a salvation by works plus grace. (laughs) It's a distortion of truth, and it added to the work of Christ. And Paul wrote in his letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he says, For it is by grace God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ, that you have been saved, actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, you didn't do anything for it, not through your own effort, but it is undeserved. It is the undeserved, gracious gift of God, not as a result of your works, nor your attempts to keep the law, so that no one would be able to boast or take credit in any way for his salvation. That's cool. I like that. Because you know what? What you create, you maintain. Right? Paul is uh, not angry over the Galatians' desertion of him or the supposed injury to his reputation. He is livid over the distortion of grace. Grace that was a demonstration. It literally demonstrated and was consummated by the sacrifice of or death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. The grace was personified in Christ. And it was being trampled underfoot, marginalized, set aside in the teaching of the Judaizers. And no one knew the glory and beauty of grace better than Paul. Those of us who've been saved out of the darkest places recognize the contrast and are most grateful for the grace that is afforded us. We recognize it. We see the beauty of grace. It is that that impassioned his ministry. Grace is the gospel. It is the heart of the Father revealed through Christ. 
Because of His grace, we have been saved, delivered from living death of slavery to sin, from being held captive by the appetites of flesh, and saved from living in condemnation, destined for damnation, and justly spending eternity in darkness and the anguish of separation from God. Because of grace. Because of grace, which is undeserved, unmerited gift of God, we are born anew. New creations, born out of the love of God through His Son into union with the triune God. Wow. Born without ceremony or ritual directly, directly into the fullness of God's love. Not provisionally, but directly into the fullness of it. Grace is the invitation of God to begin anew. To be born into the richness of an intimate relationship that affords us all the blessings and the inheritance of Christ. This is the work of our sovereign God. This is not the work of man. And that he did while we were enemies. He sent his son to suffer and die that we who played a role in his death, who were part of the suffering that was afflicted upon him, might be born as his children. Wow. John 1, verses 12 and 13. But to as many as did receive and welcome him, that's Jesus, he gave the right, the authority, the privilege to become children of God. That is, to those who believe in, adhere to, trust in, and rely on his name, who were born Not of blood, natural conception, nor of the will of the flesh, physical impulse, nor of the will of man, that of a natural father, but of God, that is a divine supernatural birth. They were born of God, spiritually transformed, renewed and sanctified. You know who else this says that about? Jesus. Jesus. You were born in the manner after Christ, not out of a virgin mother, but literally born in Christ, spiritually rebirthed into a new creation. In this letter, you will feel the righteous anger of Paul, the absolute contempt that he unleashes on this distortion. Grace is a non-negotiable gift that is all or none. No man can add to the work of grace. No man can diminish the sacrifice of Christ by adding to it. Paul is exuding the indignation of God. So when we read these verses, I don't want you to see the ancient people of Galatia. See the defense of grace that is your grace. See it as as the vigorous assertion of God that you are His. This is where that anger is coming from. This is where that passion is coming from. This is my child. And you will not add anything to what I have done to purchase His life. You cannot add to Him. He is holy before me. He is righteous before me. He is perfect in my sight. I gave everything that he might be formed in truth. Do not come and add your lies to what I have done. That's God's anger. 
And you know, when the enemy, the accuser, comes around and seeks to talk to you about how your behavior somehow knocked you out of the tree with God, you need the same indignation. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. For I want you to know, believers, that the gospel which was preached by me is not man's gospel. It's not a human invention patterned after human concept. For indeed, I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a direct revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is making a defense of his ministry at this point. The Judaizers, in their attempt to hijack the affections of the Galatians and the faith of the Galatians, had questioned Paul's validity and Paul's authority and the authenticity of his message, because that was the means to an end. They were saying that Paul had actually learned it from others, that he was just a representative of another person. And Paul begins his defense and he writes, I want you to know, and actually in the Greek it could be translated, I want to reveal this to you. I want you to expose, I want to expose you to this truth. I want you to understand that this gospel is not the work of man. If it was, then it would have us maintaining our relationship with God through our works. Do you know Christianity is the only religion that is not based in works, and that is because it's not a religion, it's a relationship. It is not based in the work of man. Christianity is the articulation of a relationship that is based in grace. The flesh of man will always propagate a man-centered religion. A man-centered relationship with God. It's all about what I do. It's all about how I, what I do to get God to respond to me. I have to bait him into fulfilling what I desire. I have to apply faith like an economy. I have to use it like, like a currency to get God to act on my behalf. I have to beg him to come into my circumstances. I have to beg him to attend me. I have to beg him to hear my prayers. I have to keep everything right so that he will give me fellowship. I I am the center. I am the initiator. And God is the responder. No. That is a lie from the pit of hell. We are not in a man-centered religion. We're not in a man-centered relationship. We're in Christ. That's different. I want you to know this is not a man-centered gospel. We're not in a relationship with God that is based in externals or outward works. Paul received it directly from Christ. Now, the Jews received everything through rabbinical teaching by repetition. It was embedded in tradition and passed through generation to generation. Christ revealed himself to Paul. Christ himself revealed himself to Paul. Prior to that revelation, Paul knew about Jesus. Paul knew about Christianity. He didn't know Jesus. Because apart from this personal encounter, Christ was not knowable. Apart from the revelation of Christ, he is not knowable. I fear that we are raising a lot of people up in the religious institutions of the church that know about Jesus, but don't know him. 
It's not enough to know about him. The Pharisees knew more about the Messiah than anybody else on the face of the earth, and yet they did not know him. Paul knew about Jesus. Paul says, I received it from the person of Christ. And the emphasis is on the I received. Because the Judaizers believed that Paul had received it from the church, the Jerusalem church, and was dependent upon the hierarchy for his authority. That's what they were putting out there anyway. And they were claiming a superior authority through the Jerusalem church. Now, Paul will begin to demonstrate that by pointing to his life prior to conversion. So let's look at that, verses 13 and 14. Starting with verse 13, he says, You have heard of my career and former manner of life in Judaism, and how I used to hunt down and persecute the church of God extensively, and with fanatical zeal tried my best to destroy it. And you heard how I surpassed many of my contemporaries among my countrymen in my advanced study of the law of Judaism, as I was extremely loyal to the traditions of my ancestor, from persecutor to preacher. And you, you see... People would say, well, it makes sense. He was zealous before Christ. He was zealous with Christ. He's still the same person. No, he's not. He's not the same person at all. The two are completely opposed to one another. And secondly, one is a zeal of the flesh that says, I can create for myself. I can make good for myself. If I just work hard enough, I will achieve. If I will put everything into it, it will be mine. And whoa, won't that be great? And you know what? You may be absolutely right, but you will not have life apart from Christ. That's what you were made for. That is the zeal that you are supposed to exercise. That is the passion that is already in your new creation heart. If you will by faith embrace it. Paul embraced the truth of grace. He embraced the salvation of the Lord. And with new zeal, he went forward in the ministry of grace. Because he was called of God. Now, you say, well, what does that got to do with it? Most of us think that when we're called of God, that means that, okay, you better gussy it up and get it done. Faithful is he who called you, Thessalonians, who will also... Yes, absolutely. God is not calling Paul to get out there and create a ministry, create a gospel. God is calling Paul to go out there and participate in the activity... God himself, to articulate the truth of God himself, to live in union and the intimacy of that union, to manifest the truth of God. Because that's the gospel he's teaching. You see, Paul's not teaching religion. He's not teaching people what they need to do to be good Christians. He's teaching the truth of what Christ gave us in his life. He is not just teaching the death of sin. He's not just teaching what happened on the cross. He's teaching the life that came out of the grave. The new life that is yours. That life that does not lack in zeal. That life that does not lack in passion. That life that goes forward with an appetite for truth. If you don't have that, you've been ignoring the life. If you're a child of God, you've been distracted. 
He was a fanatic. Paul is saying, apart from conversion or the miraculous new birth, there is no way to explain my complete reversal, the change. It's like I'm a different person altogether. I was this fanatical zealot, a radicalized legalist. I had a reputation. Even you've heard of me. And there was nothing in my former pursuits in Judaism that would prepare me for a gospel of grace. Now, I came to the Lord very early in life. But you know what? As I begun to transform or change the source from which I lived in, lived from, as I began to understand that I was not this body, that living life according to the flesh was not what I was made for, as I began to abide in the truth, as I sought Him, and He revealed Himself to me, There's been a transformation. I didn't gain anything. I began to live to the abundance that was given me. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.